Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you're with us today. It is Christmas time in Florida. But I got to tell you, it's July in my shirt. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in here today. I wait all year to wear a sweater and I've already taken it off. So uh, I'm going to stop right there. But we're glad that you're here. Husband and his wife were disciplining their six-year-old child, and the little boy got a little bit angry with that. He went into his room and slammed the door shut. A little while later, he came out with a little bag of clothes and a teddy bear and a piggy bank, and he said, I'm running away from home. And the mother got very upset. And the dad said, what are you going to do when you run out of money, son? The little boy said, I'll just come back home and you can give me some more, Dad. He said, well, what are you going to do when you get hungry? The little boy said, well, I'll just come back home and Mom can feed me. He said, well, what are you going to do when your clothes get dirty? Well, I'll just come back home and, and Mom can wash them for me. Husband looked at his wife and said, this kid's not running away from home. He's going off to college. Come on, that was pretty good. Thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. Hey, if you're my age, that's funny. If you're not my age, that's not so funny. Listen, we're going to spend a couple weeks here talking about home. Being home for the holidays. We introduced this little short series last week. And I mentioned last week, home's really kind of a hard thing to define. Because when you think of home... It evokes such thoughts of longing, but sometimes it evokes thoughts also of pain. Because sometimes home is a difficult place. And sometimes home is filled with difficult people. I want to talk about that this morning. You know, we need to be loving people all the time. But when it's our own family, and it's the holiday season... Sometimes that gets a little bit complicated, doesn't it? And before I go any further, I want to tell you who this sermon is not for today. Okay? This sermon is not for you if you go home and your family and your extended family all gets together and there are no difficult people sitting around your table. I mean, if everyone there has this just emotional stability and maturity, if no one around your table is a little bit hard to track with, can be a little bit sarcastic, maybe passive-aggressive. If there's nobody who talks too much or drinks too much or smokes too much or brags too much, you know, nobody that's ever had relationship problems, there's no fights, no divorces, no lingering resentment. If your kids just have nothing but encouragement you know, from you parents, if you parents get nothing but positive vibes back from your kids, they never complain, they're never angry, no job problems, no crying babies. If you have no difficult people in your family whatsoever, this sermon is not for you. I would also add, this church probably is not for you either. What are you doing here? Because let me tell you something I know about this church family. We're living in the real world. I mean, we're dealing with the same problems and issues and obstacles and challenges that everybody else deals with. We've just come to the conclusion that the answer to all those problems is Jesus. 
Now, we haven't quite figured it all out yet, but we understand that uh, we're going to try to solve real problems with the real answer. So this morning, I want to talk about home. And I want to talk about dealing with difficult people at home. And again, I want to do it through the lens of the story of the birth of Jesus. And usually when we think about Jesus being born in a manger with Mary and Joseph, it's a very sterile scene. But there were some difficult times that Jesus was born into, and there were some difficult people surrounding the birth of Jesus. Now I want to, I want to identify some of those identify some of those difficult personality types because there's a real good chance that you're going to be dealing with some of those same personality types in the coming weeks. But then I want to offer some strategies about maybe how we can not just survive the holidays but also show the love of Jesus to everybody that we come in contact with, especially our family. So we're going to look at some people who were surrounding the birth of Jesus. And first... First, there we go. There were disappointed people in the story of Jesus' birth. You might have some people around your table this year who are disappointed. I wish life hadn't turned out quite this way. This is not where I wanted to be, you know, in this point in my life. There's just maybe a, a heaviness to them, maybe a kind of a sadness that surrounds them. Let me remind you of a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. Their story begins in Luke chapter 1. It all begins with a Jewish priest, Zechariah, who lived when Herod was king of Judea. Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. Right off the bat, here's what we know about this couple. One, they're old. Two, they're devout people. They're doing their best to serve and to honor God. And three, they don't have children. Infertility has always been a painful thing, and some of you in this room know that pain. And especially this time of year, that pain can be heightened. But in the first century, it was actually worse. Because in the first century, there was this mistaken belief that if a couple couldn't have children, it was some sort of punishment from God. So there's a real stigma attached to this thing in the first century. People came to the conclusion, you had to have done something. One of you, or together, you have done something to displease God, and this is now your punishment. This would be a very disappointed couple. Now what do you do? when day after day, month after month, year after year, you keep praying for the same thing and nothing happens. Nothing changes. Then on top of that, people look at you and say, well, it's your fault. Now, you did something wrong. Can you imagine the strain that would put on a marriage? Now, then they find out they're going to have a child. And you think, okay, now everything's great, but actually things get a little more complicated. Look at verse 11. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to name him John. 
And that angel goes on to explain just how important this child would be and what this child would do. He'd be named John. We know him as John the Baptist. But notice Zechariah's response to this news. How can I know this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife also, well along in years. Okay, the old priest has some doubts about what the angel is telling him. And they're legitimate doubts, by the way, right? I mean, he's reached an age where, you know, the candles are costing more than the cake. You know, hey, we're not kids anymore. How is this possible? Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was He who sent me to bring you this good news. And now, since you didn't believe what I said, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly come true at the proper time. And his words did come true. They have a child, they name him John, but Zechariah is not able to speak during the whole pregnancy of his wife. Dads, could you imagine going through your wife's first pregnancy and you not being able to say a word? Moms, could you imagine going through a pregnancy and your husband not being able to say a word to you? You can insert your own joke right there, because I'm not touching that one. But I wonder if, if Elizabeth ever said to Zechariah, you're a priest, and you couldn't believe an angel? Come on. There are disappointed people surrounding the birth of Jesus. There are also stressed out people surrounding this event. Chances are really good you're going to have some stressed out people sitting around your table this holiday season. But I want to tell you about two people that I would argue lived the most stressful life of any two people in the history of the world. Now, I mentioned as we look at pictures and images of the birth of Jesus, it is always so sanitized. I mean, Mary and Joseph are there. They're clean. They're happy. The, the barn is very clean. The animals are watching. The animals are smiling. The ox and lamb keep time with the little drummer boy. You know, it's just such a beautiful hallmark image. But think about what's going on in the lives of this young couple. Mary was a teenager when she gave birth to Jesus. Some church scholars claim she was a very young teenager, maybe 14, 15 years of age. Here's what happens. This is Matthew's account. Now this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. While Mary is a virgin, she finds out that she's going to have a child. And we're not sure how the conversation that Mary has with Joseph went, but she had to have told him, Joseph, I'm going to have a child. I'm pregnant. And we both know you're not the father. But an angel told me that the father is the Holy Spirit. I am going to give birth to the Son of God, and you and I are going to raise him together. Initially, Joseph doesn't believe her. Joseph makes plans to end this thing, 
to put her away. Mary, let me get this straight. This is the story you're going with. I mean, this is the story you're, you're telling people that, that the child that you are carrying was fathered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Son of God, and you and I are going to raise this child together. Right. Now, I've got to call it off. I, 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 I'm out of here. Can you imagine first the confusion that Joseph would have had? But imagine the heartbreak that Mary felt right then. This man that she planned to marry says, no, I can't do it. But then this happens. As he considered this, as Joseph considered putting away Mary, he, Joseph, fell asleep and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph goes to Mary and says, I've changed my mind. We're back on. Because an angel came to me and told me everything that you said was true. Now I don't know about your marriage. But if my wife told me something and I said, I don't believe it, and then a stranger, even if it's an angel, told me the same thing, and I said, okay, now I believe it. I didn't believe you, but I'm believing this. I'm not sure that would go over so well in my marriage. This is a stressed out couple. On top of that, they're on their way to Bethlehem. They're, they're going there. We talked about last week because there's a census being taken because Caesar wants to pay everybody to pay taxes. So they're under financial stress. We know they're poor. Later on, when they um, uh, bring Jesus to the temple for the sacrifice, uh, they sacrifice two doves, which is a poor person's sacrifice. Mary's traveling. She is extremely pregnant. I know there are not degrees of that, but I mean, she's ready to, to give birth at any moment. Uh, the travel, the roads, the conditions, I mean, the whole thing would have been a nightmare. And then, of course, they get to Bethlehem, and there's nowhere to stay. Joseph, I know you're not a planner, but could you call it ahead? I'm pregnant here. Motel 6, anything. I'm having a baby in a barn. It's a stressful couple. Real quick, let me share with you a few more types that were uh, difficult people surrounding the birth of Jesus. There were unsafe people surrounding the birth of Jesus. When you go home or when people come home and you sit around the table, there might be some unsafe people around your table. But I'm going to argue that whoever's around your table isn't quite as unsafe as was Herod the Great. That was an unsafe guy. I'll also say this, if you have a family member whose nickname ends in the Great, <laughs> you got some other issues going on, but, but Herod hears that a baby has been born. They're claiming he's the king of the Jews. So Herod's decision to take care of this problem is, let's just kill them all. Let's just kill all the babies. We'll certainly get the right one. An angel appears again to Joseph in a dream and says this, Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod's going to try to kill the child. Yeah, there were some unsafe people surrounding the birth of Jesus. Maybe there's going to be some unsafe people around your table this season. Also, there were peculiar people at the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 says this, 
About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star as it arose, and we've come to worship him. You might have a translation that calls those men magi. You might have a newer translation that calls them eastern astrologers. Quite possibly from Persia, maybe Babylon. But these weren't Jewish men that came. These weren't Israelites. They didn't worship Israel's God. These were some peculiar people. You might have some peculiar people sitting at your table this Christmas. There were embarrassing people there as well. We talked about this last week. The shepherds show up. And I mentioned last week that, that shepherds actually were sort of looked down on in first century times because they couldn't be trusted. They weren't permitted to give witness in a court of law because everyone just assumed that uh, a shepherd was going to be dishonest. You know, if there's shepherds in the stable, Mary might be telling Joseph, hey, keep an eye on the baby. And don't let those shepherds get too close to Jesus. You know, who invited the shepherds? There might be some people around your table this year. You're saying to your spouse, keep an eye on the silverware. Can't trust them. There were uncomfortable people surrounding the birth of Jesus. And I almost used the word creepy here. But I thought creepy was probably too strong of a word. Any uncomfortable people around your table this Christmas? Any creepy people sitting around your table? You were thinking, no, none of these people are going to be with me this Christmas. You know, it could be you. (laughs) Just saying. Because we all have a crazy cousin Eddie, right? I mean, every family has a couple of them. We get that. That person just sort of blurts things out. That person who has no filter, you know, a little bit socially awkward, just says whatever comes to mind. Side story on the birth of Jesus. At the temple, there's an old man by the name of Simeon. Now, I'm not going to call Simeon creepy because the Bible calls him righteous and devout. But I will say that the interaction that this old man Simeon has with Mary had to have been uncomfortable for her. And for Mary, I would go so far as to say it probably bordered on a little bit creepy for a teenage girl. Think of this. This is a young girl, brand new mom. She's trying to hold it all together. She's trying to figure everything out. And this old man Simeon comes, takes the baby from her arms, and says this. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then this old guy looks right at this young girl Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Okay, that's a little bit creepy, right? I mean, this guy comes and says, this child is going to be rejected by many in Israel. It's going to be their undoing, but it's going to be the greatest joy for others. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Have a good day. Good luck with the kid. Again, think about Mary. Think about all that's happened to her. There's all kinds of people surrounding the birth of Jesus. Disappointed people, stressed out people, unsafe people, peculiar people, embarrassing people, uncomfortable people. Again, there's a real good chance you're going to have to deal with some of these personality types in the coming weeks. So let me share with you three strategies. Three three gifts. 
that you might be able to give this holiday season to people who show up around your table. Three strategies that might help us show the love of Jesus. And I'm putting two of these strategies together because so often Scripture does. And that's grace and truth. I talked about this at length a, a month or two ago. John's Gospel, as he introduces Jesus to the world, says this in John 1.14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to this world full of grace. Read the first four books of the New Testament. Pay attention to how many times Jesus deals with difficult people and difficult situations, and He does it with grace. The woman at the well in John 4. The woman caught in adultery in John 8. The paralytic lowered through the roof in Mark 2. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Jesus came full of grace. Listen, there is nobody in your life right now who doesn't need some grace. Every single person who's going to be sitting around your table, every single person that you're going to interact with can use some grace. And we get to be grace givers. We get to be the ones sharing grace. Now, I'm not going to try to convince you how much grace has been given to us. I think we all probably understand that. But we get to be grace givers. And when I give grace, uh, what I'm saying is, listen, I don't know your whole story. I don't know what you're going through right now. But I want you to know I care. I care about you. I want to support you. I want to help you. That's grace. But then, on the screen, he didn't come just full of grace. He also came full of truth. Grace without truth isn't really enough to grow in. The first gift is grace. The second gift you can give this year is truth. John 8 says the truth will set you free. Then in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to Christians talking about their maturing in Christ. I've got verse 15 on the screen there, but I want to back up to verse 14. Give it a little bit of context. This is what Paul is telling the Christians here. He says, We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. He's talking about those who are maturing in Christ. He says, we're going to be grounded. We're not going to be, we're not going to be swayed by just the latest thing to come down the pike. And then he says in verse 15 on the screen, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, all, in, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head. That is Christ. Now, I guess we all know someone who has hurt someone else. Someone who has been a little bit unfair in their dealings. Someone who has been damaging in their relationships. Now, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a selfish habit. Will you love them enough to speak truth to that person? Around your table this Christmas season, will you love that person enough to speak truth? And by the way, speaking truth, that's the easy part. Speaking the truth in love, that's where we got to look to Jesus as our example. 
Jesus was such a great example of how to deal with people, how to speak the truth in love. Jesus showed us the power of truth when it's spoken in love. We look to the Holy Spirit for guidance and for inspiration. We can give people the gift of truth. Which leads me to the third gift. Talking about dealing with difficult people. The first gift you need to give this year is grace. Grace to show people that you love them. Second gift is truth. And then third gift, and this is, this is so important, is patience. The realization that you know people don't change overnight. I didn't change overnight. Why should I expect someone else to? Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. I'm talking about the same thing that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about show people grace. Speak truth. Be patient with them. It is so hard for us to be patient. At least it is for me. I don't know about you. It's hard for me to be patient. Because I want one conversation to fix things. Just listen to what I'm telling you. I Just one sentence, one word. Why aren't you changed? Why aren't you different? Why are you still doing the same things? And so we throw up our hands and say, we tried. I tried. They wouldn't listen. Jesus tells a great story one time about a, a guy who had planted a tree. It's in Luke chapter 13. Here's the story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taken up space we can use for something else. The gardener answered, Give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. Jesus is the gardener in this story. Give it another year. Give it another chance. I'm going to work on that tree. And all those people that we are so quick to lose patience with, God's still working on that tree. Jesus is saying, let's give him another chance. Let's wait a while. This Christmas season, you think about the people that, that you're going to be dealing with. There's going to be people in your life, probably a lot of people, who desperately need grace. Say, why should I give them grace? They don't deserve grace. I know that. You don't deserve it either. I don't deserve it either. But we can be grace givers. There's going to be people in your life that desperately need truth spoken to them. Well, you love that person enough to speak the truth, but boy, you better speak it in love. Speak it in a way that opens doors. Not slams them shut. Not in a way to prove that I'm right, but to prove that I care. And then there's going to be people around your table that are going to need some patience 
this year. I know it's frustrating. You know, you keep pouring yourself into that person. You feel like nothing's changed. But think how patient God's been with you. God's still working on that tree. Just like He's still working on my tree and your tree. All the things that we talk about around the Christmas season, joy, peace, happiness, all those things, those don't come from without. They come from within. It comes from Jesus. And I pray that this holiday season for you, as we talk about and think about home, maybe you're staying home and other people are coming. Maybe you're going someplace that used to be home or might one day be home. I know it's a time of great joy, but it's also a time of great stress. This is a stressful season. And I pray that in this room right now, there would be a ministry of grace and truth and love and patience. And that we can be a conduit. We don't manufacture any of those things. We're just the vehicle. We just point people to Jesus and allow His Spirit and and His love to flow through us. Listen, as a church family, if we can help you any way today, maybe you've got something going on in your life that has nothing to do with difficult people, but you just need the prayers of people who love you, we'd love to pray with you and pray for you. Really, anything that we can do to help you, there'll be some people in front of the auditorium. Meet us there. Let's stand and sing.